Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. This is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. I am Michael Ian Black, as always, your friend, your reading partner. But this episode, this episode is a little different. We're not going to be coming to you from the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. I'm not going to be alone with my sad little rat dog, Jack. For this reading, uh, I actually went out in public to read with the people, the hoi polloi, to be touched and seen by my fans and fans of this podcast, of which there are legion. Last month, I went to San Francisco to participate in Sketchfest, and instead of comedy, I said I was just going to read Victorian literature because I am that powerful. So sit back and imagine you are at a smoky cabaret that is non-smoking and enjoy. My guest tonight is uh, is one of the, the funniest comedians that I know. She had the good sense to cast me on her excellent television show, which she co-created with Ricky Lindholm, called Another Period on Comedy Central. She currently has no podcasts of her own, which makes her unique among comedians. Please welcome my dear friend, Natasha Leggero. Okay, I know nothing about this book or Thomas Hardy or... Nobody does. What? <laughs> Here's what's going on. Well, I know what I wanted to ask you. Now, Natasha Leggero, you co-created the show Another Period, yes. which, and I was on the show, but I don't know when it took place. It took place in the Gilded Age, which is, you know, 1902. 19... Okay, right. And here in, in the United States of America. That was, it was, well, the Edwardian... I think it was the Edwardian age in England. You tell me. I don't know. And then Victorian is before that. Right. So I think this is taking place kind of at the tail end of the Victorian age. This, this is... So this before, like 1895 okay. is when this book was published. In America or... No, this is England. In England? I this is know. No. How, why would you know? This is the thing. You're coming into it fresh, which I love. You're, I thought it was like this cool podcast with like a panel of comedians. It's called Obscure. And we just like talk about like, <laughs> I'm more excited for this. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm reading a classic work of literature out loud <laughs> and commenting on it as I go. You did sort of omit that, but I'm okay with that. I'm excited. Well, what did I, I didn't, I, all I said is, hey, do you want to do my podcast? It's called Obscure. And, I and just, then I looked up and said, Obscure sold out. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> that's There's good. 25 people here and it's sold out. <laughs> of the people who are listening to this podcast, how many of you have read Jude the Obscure before? Whoa, the two in the front. Three of you, three of you. Okay, no, please don't tell me what happens. <laughs> so I'll just catch Natasha uh, up very quickly. Jude is a stonemason, sad sack. He's been doing his best uh, through his whole life. And, we, and up to, you see the pages that we've read? That's his whole life up to now. And he's in love with his cousin, but he can't be with her because she's his cousin. And also because he's already married to this terrible uh, woman named Arabella, who he ended up shipping off to Australia. That's it? Yeah, and that's basically... A stonemason, so he's from like a common... Like he's like a commoner? I know. Can you believe it? That I would read a book (laughs) about a commoner? Yes, but he aspires... Oh, he's obscure. Exactly. He's like Pip from Great Expectations. I don't know, but he aspires... I like that this is the only classic... (laughs) He's interested in ever reading. I'll read another one after this. He ha- yes, he's obscure, and, but he has, he has aspirations to rise above. And he thought what he would do is get an education and become a member of the clergy. And then he, he went to Christminster, which is the town where he learned how to, to be a scholar. And th- those plans were thwarted. Every plan of his is thwarted, including his unrequited love, kind of semi-requited love for his cousin, who has just married... His old school teacher, Mr. Phillotson, the man who introduced him to the idea of education, and then in ironic twist, he introduced her years later to his cousin, and now they've just gotten married. Now I'm feeling self-conscious, the no, way you're looking at me. I, and I, by the way, I love the title. It's, it's, it's really pretty. I like the name Jude. I like calling someone who's trying to you know, get to a better station. Obscure. obscure. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Thanks. <laughs> I feel like you're starting to turn the corner a little bit on Jude the Obscure. All right, so Jude is now, he's just had a little drinky, and he's hoping to meet his cousin, Sue, who he hasn't seen since she's gotten married, and they're going to go visit his aunt together as she lay dying. Feeling tired and having nothing more to do till the train left, he's at the bar, Jude sat down on one of the sofas. At the back of the barmaids rose bevel-edged mirrors with glass shelves running along their front, on which stood precious liquids that Jude did not know the name of in bottles of topaz, sapphire, ruby, and amethyst. See, this is the kind of shit you like. You like fancy shit. That's your whole thing. That's your whole, like, persona is, I'm the girl who likes fancy shit. This ha- you haven't sold me that this is about fancy stuff yet. It's not, but I'm. It's really not. But oh, I. Oh, that's a nice description. I was trying to get you excited just with fancy stuff. The moment was enlivened by the entrance of some customers into the next compartment and the starting of the mechanical telltale of monies received, which emitted a ting ting every time a coin was put in. Oh. one of the undercurrents. Of this, come on! Don't fall asleep. No, I was just gonna say, he seems kind of simple. No. Oh, okay. No. He's like he's ting ma- ting. The barmaid, 
Attending to this compartment was invisible to Jude's direct glance, though a reflection of her back in the glass behind her was occasionally caught by his eyes. Now, Jude does not take notice of women very often, so I'm thinking this barmaid, maybe there's going to, maybe some, you know, it's going to happen with the barmaid. He had only observed this listlessly when she turned her face for a moment to the glass to set her hair tidy. <gasps> I just read the next sentence. And you guys, I have been predicting this. You're here at an excellent episode. I have been predicting this for a hundred pages or more, and now it has come to pass. Then he was amazed to discover that the face was Arabella's. She's a barmaid? He sent her uh. off to Australia. She sent herself off to Australia. Hundreds of pages ago. Guys. <laughs> Arabella is back. And she's the worst of the worst. She's, she tricked him into marrying her. She said she was pregnant when she wasn't. And then, uh, and then he found out she wasn't pregnant, and that caused a row, but he still tried to be a good husband, and then she made him kill a pig. <laughs> <laughs> and now she's back. Ting, ting. I'll say. If she had come onto his compartment, she would have seen him. But she did not, this being presided over by the maiden on the other side. Abby was in a black gown with white linen cuffs and a broad white collar, and her figure more developed than formerly, what, she's put on a little weight, you guys, <laughs> was accentuated by a bunch of daffodils that she wore on her left bosom. In the compartment she served stood an electroplated fountain of water over a spirit lamp. Just get to fucking Arabella! Whose blue flame sent a steam from the top, all this being visible to him only in the mirror behind her, which, al which also reflected the faces of the men she was attending to, one of them a handsome, dissipated young fellow, possibly an undergraduate, who had been relating to her in experience of some humorous sort. Oh, Mr. Cockman, now how can you tell such a tale to me in my innocence? She cried gaily. How do you like my voicing? It's pretty good. I like your voicing. Thanks. I pretty much do the same voice for every single character. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Cockman, what do you use to make your mustache curl so beautiful? As the young man was clean-shaven, the retort provoked a laugh at his expense. Come, said he, I'll have a curacao and a light, please. Is that how you say that? Curacao? Curacao. Thank you. What is that? Some sort of liqueur? <laughs> a curacao and a light, please. Christminster, where they are right now, is kind of like, um, it's kind of like uh, 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 Boston. In, it, it, it's like in, in Goodwill Hunting. It has that kind of thing to it. And Jude's kind of like... Is it like Canterbury area? Where uh, is that? It's, it's... Well, in, in, so all of everything that Thomas Hardy writes, it's this made-up place called Wessex, County Wessex in England. But it, it's, rough, it's basically like Oxford. But okay. I equate it to Boston Goodwill Hunting. Because Jude is kind of like the Matt Damon character who's always asking people how he likes them apples. <laughs> she served a liqueur... Uh, 
like just like you said, from one of the lovely bottles and striking a match, held it to his cigarette with ministering archness while he whiffed. Well, have you heard from your husband lately, my dear, he asked. Not a sound, said she. Where is he? I left him in Australia, and I suppose he's there still. So she's lying. And he's hearing this? He's overhearing it. He's in the compartment right next door. I mean, it seems a little easy. You mean as a writer, writerly? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. Like he just like happens to be like, ooh, I like that girl's butt. Oh, it's my wife. Right. <laughs> it's a little bit like a Three's Company episode right now. She says, I left him in Australia, and I suppose he's there still. Jude's eyes grew rounder. What made you part from him? Don't you ask... Oh, I I put the wrong voice to the wrong character. What made you part from him? Don't you ask questions, and you won't hear lies. (laughs) Basically, every character is the cop from Bugs Bunny, who... (laughs) That's how I read everything. No, it sounds good. Come then, give me my change, which you've been keeping from me for the last quarter of an hour, and I'll romantically vanish up the street of this picturesque city. She handed the change over the counter, in taking which he caught her fingers and held them. There was a slight struggle and titter, and he bade her goodbye and left. Jude had looked on with the eye of a dazed philosopher, It was extraordinary how far removed from his life Arabella now seemed to be. He could not realize their nominal closeness, and this being the case in his present frame of mind, he was indifferent to the fact that Arabella was his wife indeed. So for all he cares, he, she can titter away with this dude. Like, she can, he, she can titter and ting-ting and do everything that she wants to do, and he will be fine with it. So there's, are they going to get a divorce? I, they can't. He would have divorced her if he could, but he couldn't. I thought the men could do whatever they wanted. I don't know. I, I mean, it seems like he would have done it. Right. He hates her, and she hates him, and it did not end well for them. He gave her all the furniture. He gave her all his money. He gave her everything. You know how uh, when, uh, and I used this example before, but when Tina and Ike Turner broke up, <laughs> and, he wa- and she was a star, and he wanted all the money and he wanted everything. She said, take it all, Ike. Just leave me my name. That's what Jude did with Arabella. Wow. Yeah, powerful stuff. Back with Obscure Live in just a minute. And we're back. Hi, this is a special live reading. I'm not in the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. I'm at the Brava Cabaret in San Francisco as part of Sketchfest. And uh, yeah, they just let me read my book. So let's get back to it. The compartment that she served emptied itself of visitors. And after a brief thought, he entered it and went forward to the counter. Arabella did not recognize him for a moment. Then their glances met. She started, till a humorous impudence sparkled in her eyes, and she spoke. Well, I'm blessed. I thought you were underground years ago. How old is he? He's like 25. (laughs) He's like maybe 25, 26 years old. And he says, oh, 
And she says, I never heard anything of you, or I don't know that I should have come here, but never mind. What shall I treat you to this afternoon? A scotch and soda? Come, anything that the house will afford for old acquaintance sake. Thanks, Arabella, said Jude without a smile, but I don't want anything more than I've had. The fact was that her unexpected presence there had destroyed at a stroke his momentary taste for strong liquor as completely as if it had whisked him back to his milk-fed infancy. (laughs) Just seeing her destroyed any appetite he may have for spirits. Powerful stuff. (laughs) Better than rehab, right? You just go visit an ex. Oh, that's why at the, f- the beginning he's like, ruby-colored liquors. Oh, it's all, it was all he romantic, right? He was all excited right? Yeah. about it. Right, and then you see, now you see the tawdriness of the glass, don't you? Just cheap-colored glass, just spun out of nothing, just manufactured like the ting-ting of the machine. It's all, anything valuable has been cheapened in this world. That's the way Jude is looking at everything right now. And that's the way I think Thomas Hardy is looking at everything. Anything that you may attach some meaning to, uh, some value to, is just cheap garbage. Anyway. Yeah. That's a pity. Now you could get it for nothing. A little double entendre there. I think she's saying you could get it for nothing. I mean, we're married. And how long have you been here? About six weeks. I returned from Sydney three months ago. I always liked this business, you know. I wonder you came to this place. Well, as I say, I thought you were gone to glory. And being in London, I saw the situation in in an advertisement. I have a question. Yes. So what's the deal with people like would just go to, they'd be shipped to Australia because they were bad. And then they would finally save up money to like get back to England. No, in her case, her family were pig farmers. And the pig farming business, like everything else in England, was changing. They were making less money. She had been shamed because she had faked this pregnancy. So her parents had kind of been talking about going to Australia to try pig farming there. And then she was like, maybe I'll go with you because my name's no good here anymore. So she kind of went with them. Them to Australia. How did people get to Australia? I can't even go to Australia. It's too far. By Zeppelin. <laughs> What's that? We what? have a question from the crowd. How long does a Zeppelin take? There, there were no Zeppelins at this time. <laughs> I mean, there were probably some experimental Zeppelins. I'm going to look up when Zeppelins were first. Wait, is Zeppelin a real a way that people would travel? I mean, not like far though, right? Sure. That's what do you think the Hindenburg was? Why don't we still use Zeppelins? What happened to the Hindenburg? <laughs> okay, Zeppelin's notions, I guess Zeppelin was a person, were first formulated in 1874 and developed in detail in 1893. They were patented in Germany in 1895, so exactly when this takes place, uh, and in the United States in 1899. So, Although I was joshing about there being Zeppelins, uh, I wasn't so far off, and your question was a delight. Continue. Continue. People like the, people like the reading. Um, Okay, so she, she, saw, she saw the want ad, and, and she said, Nobody was likely to know me here, even if I had minded, for I was never in Christminster in my growing up. Why did you return from Australia? Oh, I had my reasons. I bet she did. She's the worst. I know I told you that before. 
but there, she undoubtedly did something terrible in Australia. She, she's been, she, she, she's careless with people. She does not care if she hurts them. She's a sociopath. His cousin Sue, in some ways, is worse because she has a self-possession about her where she has, she has the capability of great empathy, but she still wrings Jude out like a sponge at every opportunity that she can. You're very protective of Jude. Jude is a wet noodle. <laughs> Jude, bless him, he tries so hard. It, you know, he's, he's, he's just, young. He's young. He's not that young. I mean, people... He's 25. In 1895, his life expectancy is 26. <laughs> Why did you return from Australia? Oh, I had my reasons. Then you are not a Don yet? Meaning you haven't, you haven't gone through college? Because this, this was his whole thing. He's going to go to Christminster. He's going to get edu- education. It was thwarted. He did not become a Don. No. Not even a reverend? No. Nor so much as a rather reverend dissenting gentleman. I am as I was. True, you look so. Right? She's such a bitch. (laughs) She idly allowed her fingers to rest on the pull of the beer engine as she inspected him critically. He observed that her hands were smaller and whiter than when he had lived with her, and that on the hand which pulled the engine, she wore an ornamental ring set with what seemed to be real sapphires which they were indeed, and were much admired as such by the young men who frequented the bar. So you pass as having a living husband, he continued. Yes, I thought it might be awkward if I called myself a widow as I should have liked. True, I am known here a little. I didn't mean on that account, for as I said, I didn't expect you. It was for other reasons. What were they? I don't care to go into them, she replied evasively. I make a very good living, and I don't know that I want your company. Here, a chappy with no chin and a mustache like a lady's eyebrow. Now, that's a good expression. <laughs> a mustache like a lady's eyebrow. I'm trying to picture... I don't even know... I can't even quite picture what that is, and yet I know it's perfect. That sounds like a good mustache, right? It sounds... Better than a bushy mustache. It that sounds get... feet, I think, is what it sounds. Right. Like a, a kind of dainty mustache. Yes. A foppish mustache. He came and asked for a curiously compounded drink, and Arabella was obliged to go and attend to him. We can't talk here, she said, stepping stepping back a moment. Can't you wait till nine? Say yes, and don't be a fool. I can get off duty two hours sooner than usual if I ask. I'm not living in the house at present. He reflected and said gloomily, I'll come back. I suppose we'd better arrange something. So... Uh, Jude and Arabella are getting along in a kind of testy way, but getting along. That's nice to see. (laughs) Oh, bother arranging. I'm not going to arrange anything. Oh, so I guess they're not getting along. (laughs) But I must know a thing or two. And as you say, we can't talk here very well. I'll call for you. Depositing his unemptied glass, he went out and walked up and down the street. Here was a rude flounce into the pellucid... Pellucid? Is that saying it right? It doesn't sound like it means clear. It doesn't, does it? All right, but thanks. Into the pellucid... I mean, I should have crowds more often because I must be saying so many words wrong. (laughs) 
as I as I read. Is it ecclesiastical? Is that the correct pronunciation? All right. I said it wrong for the first 15 episodes. <laughs> Into the pellucid sentimentality of his sad attachment to Sue. Though Arabella's word was absolutely untrustworthy, he thought there might be some truth in her implication that she had not wished to disturb him and had really supposed him dead. However, there was only one thing now to be done, and that was to play a straightforward part, the law being the law, and the woman between whom and himself there was no more unity than between East and West being in the eye of the church, one person with him. So he's saying, look, we're husband and wife, you're here, what are we going to do? We've got to be husband and wife. Having to meet Arabella here, it was impossible to meet Sue at Alfredston as he had promised. At every thought of this, a pang had gone through him, but the conjuncture could not be helped. Arabella was perhaps an intended intervention to punish him for his unauthorized love. You understand his unauthorized love is for Sue, his cousin, who is now married. Why do you hate her? I don't hate... There are moments where I really hate Sue. (laughs) Because she does this thing that I recognize from other people that I have known in my life. It's a kind of push-me-pull-you thing where she knew that he was kind of obsessed with her. And she was... And she played dumb for a while. And then she was like, no, 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 we can't ever be lovers because we're cousins... And that's a pretty good reason. And <laughs> et cetera. But, but, but if you really must, if you must love me, then by all means, love me. And he's like, okay, cool. I love you. And she's like, no, you mustn't. You mustn't. And she's like, okay, I won't. She's like, but if you want to, it's fine. And she did this for about 800 pages. <laughs> and then finally, they got married, Sue and uh, her husband. And he his feelings for her have not quite abated and will never abate. And how does Sue feel about Jude? Well, that's the curious thing. We, we really don't know. Mm. She, I think... <sighs> how in love with her husband is she? Not that, at all. Not so at she all. probably is in love with Jude then, slightly. I think slightly. I think it's a thing where she wants to be adored so badly and recognizes in Jude an open-heartedness and almost primitive naivete that is very appealing to her. And she had kind of conjured situations in which, had he wanted to, he could have made a move on her. He didn't do it because he had so much respect for her. But we get the sense that she really wanted him to. There was literally like a farmer's daughter scenario that played out where they had missed a train and they traipsed through a field. She was tired. They saw like literally a farmhouse and they were like, well, maybe we should just spend the night there. And she was like, yeah, kind of a good idea. And then it was like this whole setup to, the, to like a farmer's daughter joke. And, 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 and then it, it, and Thomas Hardy was like, okay, and so we're, we're going to spend the night here. And it, he set this very romantic scene. And then the next sentence is like, well, and then they woke up the next morning and they went about their day. Like nothing happened. These people just need porn. She did get into porn. Do you guys remember this? She was walking along one day, like on a hill. And she sees a guy selling statues on a hill, as you do. You know, you're walking along a hill, and there's a guy selling statuary. 
And she went up to the guy and he's selling these little fig- like plaster figurines of the ancient Roman gods. And she bought two of the perviest ones he had, took them back to her room in, uh, where she was working at uh, like a, I don't even know what you call it, like a place where they do like Christian artwork. And her, and her boss was her landlady, and the landlady was very Christian, and she saw these pervy statues, and it was implied that she definitely rubbed one out to the statues. That's like actually a thing, like being attracted to statues. Is it? You lust after objects, right? Oh, that's called capitalism. No. <laughs> Speaking of capitalism, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Let's take a commercial break. Welcome back to Obscure. I'm Michael Ian Black, and you're listening to my special live episode of Obscure at Sketchfest in San Francisco. That's right. I not only read Jude the Obscure out loud and commented... I did it in front of an audience, but I had help from the fab Natasha Legero, and she was not fully convinced at first about the concept or about Jude, but she started to soften on him as we went. I do like Jude, though. He seems He's like he sweet, has some right? integrity. He has a lot. He has too much integrity for his own good. That's the problem with him. He's torn. He's so torn between doing what he thinks is right and doing what he feels to be right. And what he feels to be right is Sue Bridehead, his cousin. He feels <laughs> a, a desperate attachment to her, and he wants to just you know lay his head in her lap and just just be be loved by her and with her but he feels like he can't because he's trapped by the the strictures of his life and it's killing him and it's killing sue sue is always going on about how she doesn't belong in that life because she's a she's a lady and she's trapped in these old stodgy ways and she feels herself to be of a primitive time a a time before Christianity, a pagan time. That's why she was attracted to the statues. That's why she was... She sounds kind of interesting, She actually. is. She's the most interesting character in the book, but she's also kind of terrible. I always liked, like, Edith Wharton. Like, I always liked things that, like, talked about women's lives. I always get a little bored by the, the male plight. That is so sexist. <laughs> well, they're always the more fascinating people in these books. Sue is definitely the most interesting character like, if this book was about her, that would be so cool to, like, hear what's going on in her mind and, like, why, who does she like and why does she want to fuck a statue and why does she like pagan times? Like, right. this wet noodle who's got, you know, the protagonist. But keep going. No, I'm with you. Sue's the more interesting character, but I, but I think keeping her at a distance actually makes her the, the more, more interesting, interesting character. Right. Because we you. don't quite understand her. Arabella was perhaps an intended intervention to punish him for his unauthorized love. Passing the evening, therefore, in a desultory waiting about the town, wherein he avoided the precincts of every cloister and hall, because he could not bear to behold them, he repaired to the tavern bar, while the hundred and one strokes were resounding from the great bell of Cardinal College, a coincidence which seemed to him gratuitous irony. 
The inn was now brilliantly lighted up, and the scene was altogether more brisk and gay. The faces of the barmaidens had risen in color, each having a pink flush on her cheek. Their manners were still more vivacious than before, more abandoned, more excited, more sensuous, and they expressed their sentiments and desires less euphemistically, laughing in a lackadaisical tone without reserve." The bar had been crowded with men of all sorts during the previous hour, and he had heard from without the hubbub of their voices, but the customers were fewer at last. He nodded to Arabella and told her that she would find him outside the door when she came away. But you must have something with me first, she said, with great good humor, just an early nightcap. I always do. Then you can go out and wait a minute, as it is best we should not be seen going together." She drew a couple of liqueur glasses of brandy, and though she had evidently, from her countenance, already taken in enough alcohol, either by, either by drinking or more probably from the atmosphere she had breathed for so many hours, she finished hers quickly. So she's getting, she was getting secondhand drunk. It's a... <laughs> By the way, how did brandy just disappear? Like every old book, every old movie, everyone was always drinking brandy, and it seemed like a good thing to drink in the day. Oh, I never thought. Everyone of... always had like the little liquor thing. Yeah, a little brandy glass. But there's no brandy anymore. Hmm. If you go I to don't... a bar and, be, and ask for brandy, nobody knows what you're talking about. Have you tried it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's like one thing that's like really cheap. <laughs> anyway, I think it's something to note. Uh, I, I consider it noted and let me ask you something when you have imbibed brandy have you enjoyed it I don't think I've re- really ever had it is, is it like cognac yeah. Yeah. cognac is brandy right all cognac is brandy but not all brandy is cognac Okay, so they're going to have a drink. They're going to have a drink. In a few minutes, she came in a thick jacket and a hat with a black feather. I live quite near, she said, taking his arm, and can let myself in by latchkey at any time. What arrangement do you want to come to? Oh, none in particular, he answered, thoroughly sick and tired, his thoughts again reverting to Alfredston and the train he did not go by. Uh, he was going to meet Sue at the train. The probable disappointment of Sue that he was not there when she arrived and the missed pleasure of her company on the long and lonely climb by starlight up the hills to Mary Green. Mary Green's where, they, where Jude comes from and where his aunt lays dying. I ought to have gone back, really. My aunt is on her deathbed, I fear. I'll go over with you tomorrow morning. I think I could get a day off. There was something particularly uncongenial in the idea of Arabella, who had no more sympathy than a tigress with his relations or him, coming to the bedside of his dying aunt and meeting Sue. Yet he said, because he's a wet noodle, of course, if you'd like to, you can. Well, that we'll consider. Now, until we have come to some agreement, it is awkward our being together here where you are known, and I am getting known, though without any suspicion that I have anything to do with you. As we are going towards the station, suppose we take the 940 train to Aldbrickham. We shall be there in little more than half an hour, and nobody will know us for one night, and we shall be quite free to act as we choose till we have made up our minds whether we'll make anything public or not. So what is she saying here? She's saying we're going to be back together? She's basically, it's sort of like, it sounds like she's saying we can do whatever we want for this one night until we decide what we're going to do. 
So she's kind of like a free spirit. Mm. But he's like not into her. He's not into her. Like he keeps saying like, okay. And then like. He hates her. But I feel like there might be a hate fuck coming. As you like, he says, then wait till I get two or three things. This is my lodging. Sometimes when late I sleep at the hotel where I am engaged, so nobody will think anything of my staying out as if she gives a shit. She speedily returned, and they went on to the railway and made the half hour's journey to Aldbrickham, where they entered a third-rate inn near the station in time for a late supper. And that is the end of chapter eight in part the third. So, uh, yeah, I hear you guys whistling. Things are heating up in a weird way. Third-rate inn. It probably doesn't get any worse than that. No. It doesn't get any tawdrier than whatever's going to happen at that third-rate inn following the late supper. Do you think he's using Arabella Mm -hmm. to not, like, go after Sue? He's kind of using her as, like, something to do. Yes, that's that's where I think we're heading. Yeah. I think he is miserable. He's lost Sue, and look who should walk back into his life but the Tigress Arabella. And she seems willing to do anything, at least for one night. So who knows what's going to happen? Wait, wait, we don't get to keep reading? You're hooked. Thank you so much for being here, Natasha. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Have a great night. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. To subscribe and get more information, visit our show page at Earwolf.com. If you like what you've heard, hey, why don't you write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts and talk to us at Obscure with Michael Ian Black at gmail.com. Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by my pal Craig Wedren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor, and extra thanks to the Sketchfest co-founders David Owen, Janet Varney, and Cole Stratton, and the amazing team at Sketchfest and the Brava Cabaret from the wilds of Connecticut, I'm Michael Ian Black. This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que nos está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> 
Spanish Aquí Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. O donde sea. Spanish Aquí Presents. <laughs> <laughs>